This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good Tuesday morning and it's lovely to see a little bit of sunshine on a Tuesday morning, particularly as we're at the end of September. We can't really complain, can we, about the uh, weather and I think for the rest of the week it isn't too bad. I think it turns a bit wet after that. So enjoy whatever bit of sunshine we get. We will grab with both hands. Bernie's taking your calls. 1850-333-103. Text and WhatsApp. Also available to you at 0862-103-103. And a number of the papers are reporting on the first day back at the office yesterday and it seems that huge rush of workers heading back uh, yesterday didn't. It failed to materialise uh, despite yesterday was the 20th of September, the date that people were waiting for, for the easing of restrictions. It looks like many employers are opting for this soft return and they're opting a much more blended work model. We'll have probably more people, other people who went to work yesterday are back working from home today. Others will be heading into the office today. So people are being gradually eased in. It isn't just a full return. Doors open and everybody back in the office. Now, of course, many essential workers have already returned to the workplace over the previous months. But yesterday was seen very much of the first day of the easing of restrictions for the non-essential workers. But there was little effect on commuter numbers. Our footfall all around the country, but the footfall was certainly they thought there'd be a higher level of footfall particularly in cities in the larger urban areas Transport Infrastructure Ireland they were monitoring the amount of cars that were on the road for the for the people that you would have to have sympathy for that some have very long commutes in the morning but they say yesterday there was about an increase of 2% in traffic over Monday of last week and Irish Rail while they still don't have their official numbers in they say that the anecdotal evidence yesterday uh, was that there was an increase in passenger numbers but it was uh, marginal so there wasn't this mass return to the office but people are slowly but surely across this week and probably over the first two weeks depending on the size of the office people will be eased back in. We will have a HR expert join us on the programme today to talk about this return to the office because some people have concerns and yesterday certainly when we were wishing good 
luck to the people that were returning yesterday for the first time. We did have some texts in from people who are still working from home, including one woman who said, I'm refusing point blank. I'm too nervous to go into the office. I'm, I'm staying at home now. How she's going to get on with her employer on that? I don't know. So as I say, we will have a HR expert to join us if anybody has a particular uh, question. And then Michael has been in bright and early this morning with a WhatsApp. Morning to you, Michael. And this is to do with concerts. And as we're seeing, you know, more and more of society opening up. And of course, we're heading towards the 22nd of October, which if the numbers of COVID cases continue to fall, as they are doing at the moment, they're slowly, slowly coming down. But as they're coming down, the vaccine numbers are increasing and life should start to return to some kind of a normality. But we're already starting to see smaller gigs taking place. And we know that there's tickets on sale for sort of large events that are going to be happening next year. And with that in mind, Michael is saying that he was reading a piece where Daniel O'Donnell had to cancel four of his concerts in England. Now, seemingly it was to do with some kind of a COVID mix up. I don't quite know what was going on there, but the concerts had to be cancelled. But that got Michael thinking, why are we not having large concerts with the likes of Daniel O'Donnell and our other top country stars playing in places like Croke Park or in our own uh, Porky Cueve instead of these venues being used to bring Americans into this country, well-known American singers coming to this country and selling packed out gigs and uh, yeah, and there is that sense that people want to get out and about and I think any kind of a concert that comes up that people are going to get excited about, people are buying tickets whether they're you know, the number one fans uh, are not. Micah says, our artists here at home need the cash more so now than ever and particularly more than some of the Americans, you know, the very famous Americans who will be coming to our shores. He says, our promoters should think of their own first. Just look at the viewing when the Late Late Show hold a country show. It's always one of the highest viewing. I think next to the Toy Show is probably one of the most watched Late Late Shows every year. Thus showing that there are a lot of fans in this country for our own homegrown talent. So Micah says let's promote our own first. They are badly in need, particularly this year, more than ever they're in need of uh, any money that can be raised from those concerts. We should be a country who stand up for ourselves first and put ourselves number one. I think that's, I think you've got a valid point uh, there, Michael. And I think you're right. I think if some promoter did decide to say, OK, let's look at our Irish artists, you know, the big names in the industry. Let's get together with them. Let's see if we can strike up some kind of a deal and let's see if we can organise concerts and maybe at the same time by doing it, bring some of the newer stars could perform on stage, you know, as the support acts and you'd be giving, uh, you'd be putting money into into that side of the industry as well. And of course, by having the homegrown talent, you'd have all of the Irish musicians, the electricians that are needed to stage a gig like that, the roadies, the sound engineers. You know, there would be quite a spread and it is an, it, it's an industry that you're, it has been absolutely devastated and they could do with any kind of a, a, a dig out or a leg up. So I don't think it's a bad idea. Uh, would others agree and would others go along to a concert like that if there was big, now we're talking about the big events being organised, but with homegrown talent rather than bringing up the bringing in the big acts from overseas your thoughts are welcomed on that 1850 333 103 this text just made me smile somebody now I don't know whether they sat down with the calendar and counted this out or not but somebody is telling me there's 95 days to Christmas 95 days to Christmas uh, this year has gone so fast it has 
it has more so I think last year sort of went away in a haze because I I keep referring to things that would have happened last year and I'm actually it would be something I would be talking about that happened in 2019 sort of 2020 because we didn't do anything in 2020 of any note it's like everything last year wasn't last year it was actually two years ago but here's another year that has absolutely flown by it it really really has so there you go in case you are watching the calendar 95 days to Christmas do I take it now is the time then for you know the, the very organised people will be making who make the Christmas cakes early and you make the plum puddings early is September the month when you make the Christmas puddings I remember my mother uh, making Christmas puddings. Was it as early as September? I know she had a theory that the earlier you made it, the better it was for the flavour. And if you could manage to hold on to a plum pudding for a year, it was probably the nicest plum pudding you would ever taste. So is anybody making the Christmas cakes and the plum puddings yet? Or am I way ahead of myself? Is that way too early? 1850 Yesterday we were talking about the conditions of roads in particular with Sean Charlegan who was talking about the road between Mallow and Mitchellstown. There's stretches of that road that really need uh, work and he's just fearful with the, all the discussions that are going on about the budget and we know that this budget is going to be a tricky one for the, for the government. So much money. All any reserves that the government have of course are gone and rightly so they had to go to look after people who lost their jobs because of the pandemic so we know it's going to be pretty you know it's not going to be certainly it's not going to be a giveaway budget but Sean, Deputy Sean Sherlock is just afraid that they're going to start looking at projects and say okay we can hold off on that one let's do that one but let's hold off on that one and he's just fearful that rural areas like an area of North Cork could get forgotten about and that's why he was talking about it yesterday well I had a really good email in from Tiger. my apologies Tyga I got this last week on my desk but we had just a busy time and I didn't get around to it so my, my apologies but it ties in with this whole thing of the condition of our roads particularly the condition of our roads here in Cork and many of us got to staycation this year and some people got to staycation well I staycationed in Cork didn't see any reason to go anywhere else because I think it's a beautiful county but I was up the country uh, as well for parts of it but many people got to explore and get out of Cork and get up into other parts of the country and many people started commenting and noting that roads in other counties are a little bit better than they are here in Cork. And I think it's only when you're on a staycation and you're driving around a lot that you start to notice it. And that's exactly what happened to Ty. So he put pen to paper and he said, Hi guys, I've just returned from touring the west of Ireland and Donegal. And my experience of road conditions through Clare, Galway, Mayo and Donegal was a real eye-opener. The roads in all of those four counties, including, may I say, minor ones, were in generally excellent condition. So what has gone wrong here in Cork that we have to put up with potholes all over the place? The main roads are just about passable here in Cork but the minor ones some of them says Tiger are absolutely deplorable. In particular he he says I quote roads around Bandon and Inishannon the minor roads. We pay the same road taxes as all other other counties. We pay approximately 23% on car parts and tyres and believe it or not folks we pay 70% tax on every gallon of diesel and petrol for example we pay 6 euro 58 6 euro 58 cent on average for a gallon of diesel and we pay 4 euro 60 cent in 
tax. Then we pay higher insurance costs than any other EU country. To really bring home to people how we motorists are getting a raw deal, we pay much more on our cars under a special arrangement worked out by the EEC approximately 50 years ago. The Irish government was allowed to charge Irish motorists significantly more in tax per car so that as a government they teamed up with the motor industry here. They needed special help passed along in higher prices per car sold. That helped the motor industry here went to the car dealers out of the pockets of Irish motorists and after 50 years I feel we're still being reefed. The average car cost to motorists on the continent is significantly cheaper than what we pay here. What was deemed to be a help out on a temporary initial arrangement when joining at the time the EEC has turned into a 50 year plus one that looks like a permanent tax. Last year the government admitted that based on the number of cars sold the average tax per car was in the region of €10,000 per car. We motorists should be frothing at the mouth. But situation normal, we don't utter a damn word in protest. So in effect, we pay huge sums in tax to use roads that are truly a disgrace with potholes all over the place. And when they do get repaired, it's often with a shovel of cold chips and tar and then the back of the shovel to push it all down. The repairs are in reality a a proverbial joke. In essence, we get a con job. When are we going to rise up and demand a better bang for our tax euros? When patience ceases to be a virtue but rather becomes an incumbent to a solution then we truly need to stand up and be counted says Ed Dyke who decided to have a right old bit of a rant and a well put together rant I have to say but you're not on your own Tyke I've heard that from more friends of mine and family members who say that when they were travelling around the country as part of a staycation they couldn't get over that the road conditions appeared to be much better in other uh, counties now I know in in the defence of Cork County Council. We are the biggest county in Ireland so therefore we have the biggest amount of roads to maintain but the knock-on for that should be then surely we should be getting the biggest slice of that pie that's handed out for road maintenance if we have the most roads then we should be getting the largest amount of money in order to maintain them. 1850 Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Some people reacting uh, to Tig's uh, comment how he feels we as motorists, particularly motorists in Cork, are being ripped off because we don't even have decent roads. But he was uh, talking about the extra we pay on cars than, say, people in mainland uh, Europe. And, of course, all the taxes, the AA are constantly going on about the amount of tax we pay whenever whenever we buy a litre of diesel or a litre of petrol. Dan in Ballon Hassock says it was about 30 years ago there was a levy put on car insurance to bail out a company that was in trouble and that levy still exists. I know on what is the levy on car insurance um I don't know if that's the... I Yeah, I'd have to do a quick Google search. There is a levy, yeah, absolutely, you're right. There are levies on uh, car insurance, uh, which is really, really uh, noticeable. Tom in Bantry said, when he lived in America, 
he paid his road tax on the fuel he purchased. And if you had an untidy lawn or briars growing out onto the road, the city inspector would call to you. But here the farmers are allowed to have briars growing out onto the road. The council needs to identify problem areas and track down the landowners and get the landowners to do what they are, they're responsible to do is to maintain the, the road the sides of the road and the verges uh, etc. And that idea of paying road tax on the fuel you purchase, that has been suggested here before because the theory behind that is that people who drive a lot for a living, who use the roads more, if car tax was abolished in the morning and there was an extra levy put on every single litre of petrol that you bought or diesel that you bought the people that use the roads more would be the ones then that would end up paying more so people who don't use the roads a lot would pay less because they would be buying less petrol and diesel whereas at the moment it depends on the size of your car and the type of your car and everybody pays into that pot so yeah I, and Tom America isn't the only country uh, that does that and, and when you look at America they have some of the cheapest petrol and diesel prices in the world and uh, Finbar is picking up Tyke when Tyke talks about the condition of the roads and he was travelling on the west of Ireland it was Galway Mayo uh, Donegal and Clare and he said all four counties he felt had better road uh, conditions. Finbar and Glamour was saying you don't really have to go very far. He says when you cross over the bridge at Yall that divides County Cork and County Waterford. Finbar and Glanmire says you can instantly see there's a mass improvement in the standards of the roads and the maintenance of hedge cutting on the Waterford side as opposed to on the Cork side. So he says, well done to Cork County Council, but not so well done to Cork County Council. And that's from Finbar in Glanmire. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking the cause. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, as part of the Murder Files series on Virgin Media, last night's episode dealt with the murder of Jason Corbett a native of Limerick who was found savagely beaten to death in the bedroom of his home in North Carolina. That was back in August of 2015. Irish independent journalist co-wrote a book called My Brother Jason, the untold story of Jason Corbett with Jason's sister Tracy. Ralph Eagle, who took part in that programme uh, last night, joins me with the, with the latest on this uh, story. Good morning to you, Ralph. Good morning, Patricia. And uh, well done, by the way. It was uh, it was uh, and well done to Virgin Media. It was it was an excellent program uh, last night. Uh, Molly Martin, Jason's then wife, and her father Tom were convicted of killing Jason and uh, uh, sent to jail, uh, but they're currently out awaiting an appeal. Can you just remind us how that came about? Yeah, what happened, um, Patricia, was that Jason Corbett was found beaten to death in the bedroom of his house. Uh, at a place called Panther Creek Court just outside Winston-Salem on August the 2nd, 2015. Now, Tom and Molly Martins, Tom is a retired FBI um, agent, and Molly Martins, his daughter, uh, was a nanny who had met Jason Corbett when she travelled to Limerick to look after his two children. Now, Jason's first wife, Margaret Fitzpatrick, or Mags as she was known, died very tragically in November 2006 from a freak asthma attack. And Molly was looking after the children. A relationship developed, and they married June 2011. Now, Jason wasn't aware of her background of mental health difficulties, and it appears that there was a, a concerted effort, certainly by Molly and her family, to get Jason to sign adoption papers so that his two children, 
Jack and Sarah, that she would have equal rights to them in case the marriage broke up. And I think it's quite ominous to discover that in the week, they got married in June 2011. In the weeks after the wedding, she went to a divorce lawyer solely for the purpose of determining what her rights were to the two children. Now, Tom and Molly were charged with second-degree murder of Jason Corbett in early 2016. And in July and August of 2017, there was a major trial before Davidson County Superior Court in uh, North Carolina. They were both convicted, the father and daughter were both convicted of second-degree murder by unanimous decision of the jury, and they were sentenced to 20 to 25 years in prison. But the Martin family immediately signaled that they would challenge those convictions, and there was an appeal went first to the North Carolina Court of Appeals, and on a two-to-one margin, two judges to one judge, they voted to overturn the conviction. That was then challenged by the North Carolina District Attorney's Office to the Supreme Court of North Carolina, and the Supreme Court of North Carolina voted on a wafer-thin uh, five-to-four majority that the trial, the conviction should be quashed and that there should be a retrial. Now, the decision for a retrial is entirely the matter of the district attorney in Davidson County, and he has signaled that there will be a retrial. Now, no date has been set for that. Obviously, the family in Limerick have gone through a very, very difficult time. I mean, at times talking to the family, you feel as if they're right back to square one. Mm -hmm. In August of 2015, they've gone through six years of this, and we want to see justice done. So we're looking at a retrial sometime next year. There have been a lot of complications, COVID-19 being one, another being that Tom Martin's lead counsel, a man called David Friedman, who was considered to be one of the best criminal defense um, lawyers in North Carolina, he died earlier this month from COVID-19. He actually so, appeared towards the end of that documentary last night, didn't he? That's correct. Yeah. That, that was actually him. David Friedman was voted a number of times as the best criminal defence um, solicitor in North Carolina. He was relatively young man. He was 64. He was very fit. Uh, he was vaccinated, but apparently he just got a pre-contracted, a particularly um, virulent strain of the Delta variant of COVID-19. And he was hospitalised at the start of this month and, and, and died, I think it was on the 3rd or 4th of September. So we're awaiting to see what the implications are of that. And he's of, Tom Martin's solicitor. He's Tom Martin's solicitor. Okay. And again, would have played a very central role in the original trial in the Court of Appeals here and then in the North Carolina Supreme Court hearing. So his death is certainly going to impact the whole retrial process. Whether or not it delays it, we just don't know, but there are certainly concerns that it just might. And of course, because the, in, in a very long-winded way of, of answering your question, because the Supreme Court of North Carolina quashed the original convictions, in the eyes of the law, Tom and Molly Martins are innocent. So therefore, they have a right to be released on license or on bail. So within, I think it was 10 days of the North Carolina Supreme Court certifying the overturning of the original conviction. Both Tom and Molly Martins were released from custody. You actually saw clips of Molly being released from custody in the documentary last night. Mm. So what has happened is that Tom Martins has returned to his home in Knoxville in Tennessee and he's been living quite quietly there. And it's a bit of a different story with Molly Martins. She originally returned home to Knoxville 
and then she decided she was going on a coast-to-coast holiday with her brother Connor. And there's been quite a number of photographs posted on social media of her at various stops across the United States, um, all of which I must say have, have caused significant upset for, for Jason's friends and family here, given that they still consider the, 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 the father and daughter to be convicted murderers. Do the family plan on travelling to America for the retrial? Um, to be honest, I, I couldn't answer that, but I'd be very surprised if they don't. Um, what I would say is that they're a remarkable family, the Corbett's. I mean, they have been very much single-minded in terms of their willingness to pursue justice for, for their for their brother. Um, I have to make a special mention of, Jay, of uh, Tracy Corbett and her husband, Dave. They really have gone above and beyond in terms of loyalty to Jason, in terms of the determination to see justice done for him and the people who took his life life to, to actually answer for it. I mean, they have travelled, I think, about 20 different times to the US over the years, both to assist the prosecutors, the police, to attend the various court hearings. Of course, you had the custody hearing in August of uh, 2015, and they were for, I think it was almost five to six weeks in North Carolina in 2017 as part of the original um, trial before Davidson County. So, while I can't answer the question, I'd be very, very so, surprised yeah. if yeah. the family don't go for the retrial. And that, because I remember you were you were in the States for that trial. That trial was uh, quite harrowing. And last night we saw you looking through photographs. Was that the photographic evidence that was shown at the trial? In actual fact, Patricia, um, some of those photographs were photographs that weren't shown at the trial. Um, they are absolutely and utterly horrific. Uh, there's no words of mine can describe just how awful those pictures are. Some of the photographs were the photographs that were shown to the jury. And for your listeners, I don't want to get into it because yeah. it's too early in the morning yeah. to be describing those kind of things. But those images were so upsetting that one juror physically vomited when she saw the images being displayed on the screen inside the courthouse. Um, but some of the images were part of pathology and part of the scene record, but were deemed so upsetting that they weren't even considered for inclusion in the trial evidence. Wow, wow, it's it's unreal. And the and the kids, Jack and Sarah, um, they seem to be doing well, uh, Ralph. Because God help those kids, what they've what they've been put through and the amount of loss that they've had in their lives. They're so lucky, as you say, to have Tracy and the rest of the Corbett family surrounding them, and they seem to be doing okay. They're great kids, yeah. and they really are. Patricia, that there's no words of mine can convey just what you know. Resilient, courageous, wonderful kids they are. I mean, they're they're. I mean, you look at Jack, and you can really see his dad in him. He's a very handsome young man. He was actually only seventeen. Um, I think it was last week. Uh, he's a great musician. He does a lot of singer songwriting. Um, very good at sport. Big into rugby. Uh, if you look at Sarah, I mean, she's written a children's book. Yeah. She's recorded her own songs. She's been assigned to a talent agency. She's a great singer, great dancer. She does impromptu street performances. Really, really talented girl. And, you know, the sky is the limit for the two of them in terms of their potential. I do have to say it is very difficult for them because just when you think Jack and Sarah and the entire Corbett family have closure and that they can move on, suddenly they find that they can't because there's another legal development in the US. There's another raft of 
you know, newspaper stories, TV stories, radio stories about it. And it's almost as if they're constantly being dragged back into this judicial mire in the US. So, I mean, the, the Supreme Court decision was was a, a very, very significant blow for them. But at the same time, they're determined to, to fight on to ensure that justice is done for Jason. Yeah, and you know, anytime I read, I mean, your your book was excellent, and anytime I see uh, anything about uh, Jason, and you know, watching him again last night, he comes across. He just seemed like such a lovely guy. It, it just like nobody deserves to die the the way that man died. But he he above anyone, he just seems like a really nice guy who adored his children. Yeah, very much. He he he, he very much lived for his children, and I think. If you just look at, at the hand that life dealt him, it's just so desperately unfair. I mean, he was head over heels in love with his first wife. He lost her to an asthma attack. I mean, when he was just beginning to try and get his life back on track after that, he had two children aged two and under. He was trying to do right by them. And suddenly, just when he's beginning to get back on his feet, this girl, Molly Martins, arrives into his life with all of the baggage that she brought in terms of mental health and whatever other type of behaviour she had. And he lost his life at the hands of two people he should have been able to trust. Mm. He lost his life in the most horrifically violent of circumstances. I mean, anybody who looked, I mean, anyone who saw that Virgin Media programme last night couldn't but come away saying, my God, the level of violence that was involved was simply shocking. And for a devoted father to lose his life, I mean, while his children slept upstairs, that's something that people need to realise as well. What was done to Jason Corbett was done while his children slept in bedrooms just metres away. It, it simply defies belief. Okay, and somebody else is bringing up the point, I know this was, was raised yesterday. Tom Martin's wife, let's not forget, was also in the house. Yes, and I think that's a very, very important point to remember. She was in the house, and according to her statement and the statement of her husband and her daughter, she never left the bedroom. So her husband heard this noise upstairs and was so alarmed that he ran upstairs armed with a baseball bat during what must have been a ferocious, I mean, if you saw the level of violence that was visited on Jason Corbett, I mean, the noise, the screams, the shouts that must have been associated yeah, with that. Yeah. Sharon Martins, according to her own evidence, never left the bedroom. When silence happened, she never went upstairs to see was her husband okay, was her daughter okay. She left the bedroom when a police officer called and knocked on the door to say, you know, to check on her. And her, her, her answer was, is, is everything all right? Is everyone okay? Oh, and that would have been a couple of hours at that stage after because when they arrived, he was cold. I mean, just yeah. showing how long he was there. Shocking. All right, listen, um, uh, Ralph, um, uh, well done for for your participation in that programme uh, last night. It's a, Again, it's very much for the Corbett family as well, keeping the story out there, which I think is important, particularly as we head towards a retrial. In the meantime, Ralph, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Irish independent uh, journalist Ralph uh, Regal. And if you haven't read uh, Ralph's book uh, that he co-wrote with uh, Tracy Corbett Lynch, well worth the read. It's called uh, My Brother Jason, The Untold Story of Jason's Corbett Life and Brutal Murder. Uh, somebody says, Patricia, God is on the Corbett's side. He sees all the evil. They butchered that poor man and destroyed his children and his family's life forever. Tom Martin, watching the programme last night, appears to have no conscience. What 
months. However, his daughter and himself badly need treatment uh, to fix what's going on in their minds. Tom Martin's wife should also be hauled out for her part in what is a horrific uh, crime. She must be one tough dame, says this texter. 1850 John. Bernie's taking your call. It's not John Paul. Text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. Now, pharmacists are stepping up their campaign to provide a minor ailments scheme which they believe could cut down on the number of visits to GP surgery and to the already overstretched A&E departments. Dermot Toomey is president of the Irish Pharmacy Union and he joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, Dermot. Uh, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well and, and you're welcome to the programme. When you speak of offering a service for minor ailments, what are you talking about here? Yeah, I suppose, uh, Patricia, minor ailments would be things like, let's say, migraine, indigestion, nausea, constipation, diarrhoea, you know, some simple skin conditions like eczema. Um, they would generally be classed as min- minor ailments. But I suppose what we're looking to do is a lot of the medicines for these conditions are available over the counter for people who can afford to pay for them. And what we're looking for is, is to have equity of treatment. In other words, people with medical cards or people who don't have income, rather than going to the GP or going to A&E to have these conditions dealt with, that they could be dealt with in the pharmacy through a minor ailment type scheme. So effectively, you'd be looking at freeing up um, GP surgeries and also accident and emergency hospital visits. And you're looking at potentially, based on uh, data that we have, one in seven GP visits could be freed up what? and potentially one in 20 um, A&E visits. And the idea would be if somebody had, say, a medical card and went into the pharmacy under this minor ailment scheme, if they needed to be prescribed something, if they went to the GP, they would get it, you know, with just the prescription charge from their GP, you would be able to prescribe the item. Yeah, ultimately what you're trying to do is, is to allow parity of service. So it shouldn't be dependent on whether you have money in your pocket or can afford um, that level of service. So what we're looking to do is, as I say, give an example, a patient with a severe migraine, rather than, say, going to the GP or presenting an A&E to, to be dealt with, they could come in, have a consultation under a specific protocol with the pharmacist. Then the pharmacist taking history, looking at the, the options available, could effectively counter-prescribe a medicine that would be covered um, for that particular condition and then the patient would not um, have to go to the GP or to act in an emergency. And again, the pharmacist would claim for that appropriately from the state in order to get paid for that service. Do minor ailment schemes operate successfully in other countries? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a huge amount of evidence from um, other countries, in particular Scotland. And just to give you an example, um, there was a study done in January of 2019 um, in Aberdeen and also in Glasgow, and it said that more than 90% of participants rated the service 10 out of 10 for satisfaction, and the overwhelming majority rated their experience as excellent. So these people uh, were very, very happy with that level of service. Many of those said that if that service wasn't available, uh, they would have had to go to their GP, they would have had to present to A&E. Some would said they may have had to purchase items over the counter, or some have said that because they wouldn't have been able to afford it, they would not have treated their condition. So there's, there's plenty of experience abroad. Um, also, uh, Patricia, there was a pilot study done in 2016. Um, actually, one of the sites was the Mallow area in Cork, where um, there was a trial for um, a a number of ranges of products and the survey found that 91% of patients were very happy and were satisfied with 
that level of minor ailment service. And again, 91% said that their symptoms resolved based on the treatment that they got. So there's a lot of evidence, both, I suppose, internationally and also the pilot nationally, that um, would be in favour of the scheme. And successive ministers of health have been in favour of it also. Yeah, and it doesn't surprise me to hear the success rate of that uh, trial because we all live near a pharmacist. If you regularly use your pharmacy, you build up a relationship and there's, there's, there, there's a great trust uh, there. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. There's a couple of things. I think um, data we have show that roughly 50% of the population live within one kilometre of a pharmacy and 85% live within five kilometres. So um, pharmacies are very accessible. The other thing that, that some um, data has shown uh, a survey this year is that two out of five people now cite their pharmacist as their most important healthcare provider. Uh, and that's uh, sharply increased on previous years. So I think, you know, during the pandemic, pharmacies have been open um, and uh, been available to assist members of the public. And I think that has helped um, grow the level mm. of support for the public. Actually, on that, did you notice more people using the pharmacy during the pandemic? I mean, you know, the majority of doctors were offering telephone consultations, whereas with the pharmacist, you could go in and eyeball the pharmacist. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, certainly in our case, there was a lot of... Um, patients where we were, say, monitoring their blood pressure because uh, they weren't able to get a GP appointment or the GP wasn't available. Um, Also, with skin conditions, people were presenting in the pharmacy and, you know, there would have been occasions where we would have taken photos of that and relayed those um, photos to the GP and then, you know, between us worked out a treatment strategy. So, like, you know, as everyone says, it's been a difficult time, uh, the COVID time, for the last year and a half. Certainly in pharmacy, we've been open and available at to help the population um, right right throughout the time. I suppose what we're looking to do here is to see if we can formalise a system that has been proven nationally and internationally that the public want and that will actually free up, um, um, I suppose, waiting rooms and, and the A&E um, departments. And effectively what we're looking to do is to treat people at the lowest level of complexity. So, you know, if you're something... Well, it may not be minor to the person, but something that that is a minor ailment but can be treated um, successfully in the pharmacy through a proper protocol and question, um, then that should be the way that, that, that we should work and we should keep our healthcare free then from more complicated yeah, it's, it just it, it just really seems like a no-brainer. And I take it GPs would very much welcome this because it will take the pressure off them. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I think um, based on analysis we have, looking at potentially one million GP visits per annum could be saved um, on this. And again, I suppose, you know, feeding into the, this lowest level of complexity of treatment, you know, it would allow GPs then to deal with more complicated systems and more complicated illnesses. I think that's what, what, what they want to do. I mean, most pharmacists have excellent relationships with their GPs. There's no issue there. Uh, effectively, all we're trying to do is how can we collectively, let's say, from A&E to GP to pharmacy, work to treat uh, the number of people that present and do it in, a, in, a, in, a, in as efficient and effective a way as possible. Okay, and very finally, a number of listeners saying, have pharmacists started the flu jabs yet? Are the flu, is the, are the flu jabs in the pharmacies yet? Um, they will be coming now within the next number of weeks. Um, certainly pharmacists are finalising their training at the moment and orders have been placed. So certainly over the next uh, number of weeks, certainly from early October, uh, pharmacists will, will be in a position to provide that. I mean, many pharmacists are just finishing up on their COVID vaccination yeah. schedules as well. So it's like one condition is running. Which has worked really successfully. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think across the country it's, it's been very successful and, you know, farms have, um, that they w- we would like to have been involved much earlier in the programme, but um, I think we've approximately 300,000 people vaccinated well through the pharmacy. Well and done. that's in the last two and a half months. So, um, as I say, it's, it's been very successful. OK, check in with your local uh, pharmacy to see when they're starting the rollout because it is going to be happening soon. Dermot, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Dermot Toomey, who is president of the Irish Pharmacy Union. 1850 333 103. Uh, hi, this is one of our listeners saying, do you know if that programme on the Corbett's uh, can be viewed again? I missed it uh, last night. If you have the, you, you'll definitely get it on the Virgin Media player. It's called uh, The Murder Files, The Killing of uh, Jason Corbett. Will Virgin Media decide to show it again? They might, but it definitely will be probably from now, available on the Virgin Media uh, player. And talking of other TV programmes, I don't know how many people are following the new drama on RTE Kin. I I caught up with the second episode only last night, actually. God, it's a fantastic programme. I didn't watch Love Hate. People are saying that it's like Love Hate and I didn't watch Love Hate because... I can't, I find it very difficult to watch programmes where people are being tortured or killed or murdered or cruelty or anything like that. So for that reason, I knew that some of the storyline for Love, Hate was going to be. So for that reason, I avoided it. I decided with Kin I'd watch it. The scene in the first episode where there was an electric iron used, I had to like literally block my ears, look away until... Uh, my husband said it's okay to look now because I, I can't watch those kind of uh, scenes. But it's 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 yeah I I'm it's a good program. I'm finding it particularly good. The actors and actresses we have great talent in this country. Uh, I'll tell you that. And I know when the first episode went out, some of the councillors in Dublin were lobbying RTE to stop the program and saying that it was glorifying that gangland, that whole gangland scene. And definitely watching the outpouring of grief at the death of the first young lad in it after episode one. And that was really all part of episode two, watching a mother's grief. I I don't see that as glorifying gangland crime now, whether it will as we go through the episode or not. But I'm finding it a particularly good watch at the moment. Your thoughts are welcomed on the RTE programme, Kin, please. Let me go back to your other thoughts uh, coming in to us uh, today. Now, a number of people... Reacting to Tig's email, uh, Tig was the person who was on a bit of a staycation touring around the west of Ireland and Donegal, those general areas, and he just could not get over the how good the condition of roads were in Clare, Galway, Mayo and Donegal. And he was comparing them to the roads here in Cork and then talking about as motorists, are we being ripped off? We seem to pay extra for everything in this country as opposed to other EU countries. And then taxation, car tax, we're paying it here in Cork and yet we don't seem to be getting decent cut out of the pie in order to maintain our roads and we've got we can have some diabolical roads in some areas a lot of people commenting uh, on this including a couple of people who are picking up on the point that somebody made about they lived in America for many years and you don't pay car tax in America instead every time you fill up your car with diesel or petrol there's a taxation there's a levy on the cost of your litre of petrol or it's gallons isn't it they sell in America and that way whoever uses the roads the most the person who buys the most petrol and diesel they're the ones who pay more and that money is used towards the maintenance of the road and 
our listener was saying, would that not be a good idea here? Well, it turns out it was done here. And Jack in my land was on Andoni in Newmarket to say about 30 years ago, Fianna Fáil took the cart the tax off cars and put it on fuel. The only problem is that the car tax is back and it's still on the fuel. And Tony Newmarket says it was in 1977 that the government did it and it was Jack Lynch was a Taoiseach who got rid of car tax and added it onto fuel. But now we're paying both the car tax and we're paying the additional tax on the fuel. So I did a quick Google search because I wasn't aware of that. And yes, it was the 1977 Fianna Fáil government. Actually, they put it in as part of their manifesto and they said that they would abolish car tax, but they did. And also, of course, the other item that they abolished at the time was rates on houses. And many people would say with the property tax that that's back now as well. So that was, it has been done in this country. Don't know when the car tax came back, but it came back. But many people are saying the taxes still remain on our petrol and diesel. And we are paying some of the most expensive petrol and, di- and diesel I wouldn't even say in Europe, I'd say in the world. And it's because so much of it, so much of every single euro that you pay in petrol or diesel, so much of it goes to the uh, government. Now, someone else says, Patricia, a few years ago, I read an article in a motoring magazine which did a comparison for insurance on a two-litre Toyota Celica. It was for a 25-year-old with a clean licence. If that person had been living in England, they would have been charged £250. At the time, the quote here was €2,500. I heard it said it's because different country and insurance costs vary because of this. Well, what about when the bubble burst in 2018 or 28? 2008, we all remember Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac when insurance companies worldwide were found to be all connected as the markets all collapsed because of this, which is a really, really good point. On conditions of roads, morning Patricia, you could play snooker on the roads around Tralee. That's from Noel in uh, Castle Magna who says there's so many potholes around Tralee. You could play snooker if you wanted to. And then Mark, when people are saying get rid of car tax and put a levy on the fuel instead, says if you did that, what about people who are driving electric cars and we're all being encouraged to drive electric cars? Would they then end up driving on the roads for free because they would be paying no contribution towards the maintenance of the uh, roads? It could be done though as an incentive mark to get people to move over to electric cars. Uh, but yeah, it is a uh, fair point. And someone else says, hi Patricia. There's some great commentary coming in on your programme this morning on the conditions of our roads. In reality, motorists in this country get appalling treatment from the various authorities, both at state and, I feel, local council level. Some of the rural roads are unsafe and surely the Road Safety Authority has a a role to play in this. Could the Road Safety Authority examine some of these roads and deem if they're safe or unsafe for for, uh, travel? Most of the failures that people get when they go in for their NCT tests are as a result of poor roads throughout the country. I'm wondering, is there a private motorist lobby group in this country who could lobby on, on behalf of motorists? Well, I suppose the AA have always done that and Conor, no, Conor Faulkner is no longer with them but Conor Faulkner was always the one who campaigned on behalf of motorists so would they be the closest to they wouldn't quite call them because there's a commercial arm to the AA but there would be quite a private motorist uh, lobby group but they certainly do try to lobby on behalf of uh, motorists but you're right um 
driving conditions on some of our roads and you know the Road Safety Authority when certainly I interviewed them on many many occasions and people will often bring up that issue when there has been a serious accident say in a rural area people will often question was the condition of the road taken into account was that mentioned say at the inquest if somebody passed away or if there was a Garda investigation uh, and yeah and some of our roads are very unsafe and have accidents happened because of conditions of our roads uh, absolutely 1850 on return to the office Simon in Bantry says Patricia both my wife and I have jobs that can and still will be work from home Thankfully, we don't have to put ourselves at risk by sharing a workspace with an unvaccinated person. It is a huge relief, says Simon from uh, Bantry. And there was a listener yesterday who obviously is unvaccinated who got very annoyed and very upset and was taking me to task saying I'm trying to, trying to by what I was reading out comments on the programme, that we're trying to have a society of the unvaccinated and the vaccinated. And remember, the unvaccinated now are a very, very small pool of uh, people but there are I think Simon in Bantry sums up how a lot of other people are feeling who are vaccinated people who are vaccinated some people are vaccinated get nervous about being around an unvaccinated person now our unvaccinated listener yesterday was pointing out a vaccinated person you get vaccinated and the vaccination stops you getting very unwell stops you going to hospital and will and in the majority of cases will stop, prevent your death from COVID-19. But of course, it doesn't stop you getting uh, COVID-19. So a vaccinated person could pass it on uh, as well. But there is a nervousness. I, I know exactly where Simon is coming from. And that is something that's going to be spoken about in offices when people return. And we know we're told, and we're going to be speaking with the HR expert in a moment. I know we're told that employers can't ask somebody if they're vaccinated or not. But you know what offices are like, the water cooler moments, people chatting in the canteen, word will, you know, very quickly get out. And then other people, remember people who've opted for what their own reasons not to get vaccinated can be very vocal about saying I'm not vaccinated. They don't, the, many people don't hide the fact that they're not vaccinated. But is it going to cause problems inside an offices? Absolutely. 1850 333 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Mallow Golf Club are looking for a front of house coordinator. You need to have some experience, please. Send your CV and a cover letter to the Board of Management, Mallow Golf Club, Bally Ellis in Mallow. An office administrator is required. That's for Moorn Abbey. Please send your CV to asamallow at gmail.com. Full-time farm worker wanted. That's for work in the Grenada area, 087-239-4233. And general operatives, preferably please from a construction background, are wanted for a concrete polishing company based in Bantir. Email your CV to martin.kremen at cut. C-U-T-S-U-E Kutsu With the country moving into the next phase of the reopening, many people returned to the office yesterday for the first time since March of last year. So to offer advice to both employers and workers, I'm joined by Mary Connington, who's director of CIPD Ireland. It's a professional body which focuses on HR and learning. No, we were. We were going to talk to Mary, but she has gone away. So let's see if Bernie can get Mary uh, back on the line. And while I'm waiting to get Mary back, on 
the line, we were talking about road conditions and particularly road conditions in other counties and the difference in other counties. Breathe in Mallow said, uh, Patricia, I just had to get in touch about the condition of our Cork roads. Driving around Kenmare and the surrounding areas last week, Breathe Breather was away with her sister on a bit of a staycation. My sister and I were actually laughing at how fabulous the Kerry roads were. We put it down to the Healy Ways. Just saying, says Breather, who says even the back roads, Patricia, they were perfect. Thank you for that. Breather WhatsApping 0862 103 103. And I'm told Mary Connickton from CIPD Ireland uh, now joins me on the line. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. We lost you there for some reason. You're back. Okay, now it's a staggered return to the workplace over the coming days and weeks. You suggested that workers should view the return like starting a new job. That's right, Patricia. Uh, For people who've been working from home for 18 months, they've established very different patterns and ways of working and have got used to dealing with their customers and colleagues through a screen. And really going back into a workplace, which would be a very different place, is a new experience. And people are a bit nervous about it in the way they would be like they were going for a new job. And of course, for some people who started a new job during the pandemic. I mean, I heard of a girl who started work the Monday after the very first lockdown last March. She went back to the office yesterday. She said she didn't even know where the canteen was. She was literally going, even though she's been working for the company now for nearly a year and a half. 
That's true. There's a lot of that out there where new members have joined a team and they haven't had a chance to meet. And we don't quite look, you know, face to face as the same as we do on screen. So there's a bit of adapting to that. Um, and also getting to know people in a more personal basis and have chats that are more easy to have, you know, face to face than on um, Zoom. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of change. And the other thing is for many people, when they go back to the workplace, the, the rules around the canteen will be different. So how you go in, how you go out, when you're allowed to use it. The entrances and exits will have changed because they're likely to be one way in and a different way out. Um, how the common areas are dealt with in terms of meeting rooms, in terms of use of lists. So even for people who worked there before, it's going to feel quite different. So will the chats in the canteen or over the water cooler? Will it be a long time before they're back? Well, for the moment, there still is physical distancing in the workplace and wearing of masks. Okay. Um, so they're still there. Now, that might change at the end of October. And then we can um, see whether or not some of those rules can change. But for right now, what's important is that people are managing those. But what we're saying to employers is that, you know, have time for teams to actually have a chat and a social conversation. So nearly a getting to know your conversation and a conversation about how do we best work together, particularly as most employments will move to a hybrid working model. Yeah, and you know, I think everybody accepts working from home uh, and and a lot of people wouldn't have believed it was going to be successful, but it has been very successful and productivity has been as high as when people were in the office in many cases. Isn't that fair to say? Um, Yes, so our research would have showed that about 45% um, of our um, members surveyed found that productivity had gone up. in the early phase of the pandemic. And there was another about 25% where it had stayed the same. So it shows that working from home is very productive and has been very efficient. Now, what's been missing has been greater team working, collaboration, innovation and project planning. And they're the things that people need to start to come together for. If it's down to me to do a particular individual piece of work, I can do that probably at home just as well and I may have less distractions from colleagues and phone calls than I might in the office. But when it comes to how do we work together and how do we plan a project and how do we collaborate, that's the sort of activity that we want to see more in the workplace. And the other thing that companies struggled with um, during remote working was well-being. To be able to fully support people in well-being, there needs to be some opportunity for both the social connection and also for some activities and learning in terms of making people be better at managing themselves and their teams. And you believe we will see a lot more hybrid working going forward? Yeah, all the national surveys are telling us that that's what people want. Some form it likely to be two days in the office, three days at home or vice versa. That seems to be the most popular. And our own research would say that um, three quarters of companies are willing to offer some form of remote working. What's what's been realised is that um, because employees want this and because it has worked for companies, companies are going to have to adopt and allow remote working to be able to attract 
the sort of skills that they want and to retain the good employees that they have. That's a good point. That's a good, that, 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 that's a good point because there are some employers who like having everybody in the office uh, 9 to 5 and even though productivity might have stayed the same or even uh, improved. But I think you make a very valid point. If you want to keep key workers then this, because it's the workers really are pushing for the hybrid model, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Now, um, we know in the past that there probably was management resistance to remote working. And as managers have also had this experience, a lot of them have actually um, realised this can work. It's opened their eyes. They've also had opportunities to be, um, you know, maybe closer to their families and that get better work-life balance. So they've all been positives. So overall, we're seeing that there is a move in most organisations to be open to have some form of remote and hybrid working. But I think what's important to say is it's not that every employee is going to get what specific arrangements that they personally need. It's about working together to work out the balance between what the customer needs, how the team needs to work, and the individual's role. So like if people have to come together for teamwork and collaboration, that means having a full team in at the same time Mm. in some cases. So it's not that I can choose, I'll come in Tuesdays and you want to come in Wednesdays and somebody else wants to come in Thursdays. But like, you know, our planning session is on Wednesday afternoon and it needs people to be there for that. So there's a lot of working it out. And and that's, you know, uh, tough enough for both managers and employees to work that out together. But that will happen over the coming months. Yeah, yeah. We're saying start the conversation now and try and develop a team charter which documents how the team is going to work and the principles it's going to work of around when it's, how it's going to manage hybrid working. And also do it as a trial period. So over the next couple of months, look at the next three to four months as a trial, bringing people back, try different things, see what works, get feedback, make it very live. And then you'll have a bit more clarity maybe by the time we get to 2022. But it might still be another trial period. Even as individuals, we might think we want one way of working. But then when we try it, we might think, oh, this isn't right for us, you Mm. know. Yeah, because there was a lot of people, Mary, very excited about heading back to the office yesterday. You know, there are people who have missed that and missed that. You don't think you go to work for a social side, but there is a social side to going to work and interacting with your colleagues. Absolutely. And I think that's what the pandemic has taught us, is that how important that social connection in the workplace is, how important it is for mental health, because we have people to draw on for support. We have developed friends and colleagues that we can turn to. And some of those connections were missing. And um, so it's really important to draw on those. And yes, we are seeing people are energised by sitting together. I know going to my first meeting with with a, a couple of people, it was like, oh, you know, it's great to be able to bounce ideas around the place, you know, have time out for the side conversations at the start and end of meetings. And they're all things that re-energise us and help keep us, you know, focused and open our, our minds to yeah. new information. The other thing too we're noticing or we're, we're conscious of is there's, an equality risk around all this. There's a risk that um, some people, maybe young people, are really keen to come back to the office and meet their colleagues and build that social life. And that maybe people who have more established homes and families don't want to go back as much. So we have to watch that we don't end up with uh, an age difference here in terms of who's actually in the office. 
Uh, the other thing we've identified is that there's a risk around women because they have carried childcare and that and caring responsibilities through the pandemic and to make sure that they have the same opportunities to access childcare, to go back to work, to put arrangements in place and to be involved in career development and good work. Okay, a listener wants to know, could you ask Mary, what about somebody who's nervous about heading back into the office? I think it's very normal for anyone to be heading back in to be feeling nervous. And this is a new situation that we haven't had to deal with for 18 months. We're facing travel, we're facing different home arrangements, and we're facing new colleagues that we haven't met before, new managers that we have may not have seen. So it is a nervous time, and I would say it's okay to be nervous. You know, that should have a hinge of excitement beside it. You know, I'm going to meet new people. I'm going to start to, you know, have conversations face to face that I haven't done in a long time in this work environment. So, yeah, don't be given out if you're feeling a bit nervous. Mm. It's natural to be nervous. And it's a little bit like what we started this conversation, your suggestion for people going back into the workplace. They view it like starting a new job. And we all remember when we started a new job, there was that element of nervousness about it. That's right. Yes, yes. And it wasn't necessarily a negative. It was yeah. just we're turning up to meet new people. And also people are going back in at the moment to a different workplace. So they may not even have their original desk. Their desk might have somebody else sitting on it a different day of the week because physical distancing has meant a realignment of desks and space in offices. So there's a lot of change happening. And to take time, we're all on a learning curve together. We all have to get it right to keep the pandemic at bay and, you know, give yourself a chance and take time out to sort of absorb what's going on around you and take it slowly when you need to. Yeah, I actually had a friend of mine yesterday who started back in the office for the first time. And she said the first thing she had to do was take down her 2020 calendar, which was set at March. No one had been near her desk since. <laughs> Just thought. It's like a moment in time was, was uh, frozen. OK, and then a number of texts in about people not wanting to share an office with an unvaccinated uh, colleague. This whole thing about employers can't ask somebody if they're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Is that accepted? Um, that's what the uh, the guidelines is um, around data protection. Um, now, there are exemptions in terms of some, for example, food sectors and health sector. Um, but in general, the workplace protections are not dependent on having people vaccinated. That's why wearing of masks and the uh, social distancing are all really important. Now, in practice, we know that 90% of the adult population has been vaccinated. So we're actually in a very positive position in Ireland that the majority of people in a workplace will be vaccinated. But there isn't an entitlement on an employee to find out or have it confirmed to them about colleagues. And we've been quite open, in fact, so a lot of employers will know, you know, that the majority of the people have been vaccinated. And what we would say is it's about educating those who aren't vaccinated about the um, the value of being vaccinated. But we also have to respect where people may have either a medical condition or a set of religious beliefs that work against this. And, you know, we can't always impose our views. But in general, vaccination is good. And with 90% of people vaccinated, the majority of people going back to work now will be vaccinated. Lister says, where my friend works, only six people are being told they're allowed in the canteen at any one time. How is that going to work? When all the workforce are in, uh, they'll be asking people who start work at nine in the morning, they won't be having lunch until well after three o'clock. How will that work? And that's why the government have called out a staggered return. They're not asking 
workplaces to bring everyone back at the same time because with physical distances, you know, practical restrictions like that. Yes, places um, have found a limit, have put a limit on it and that's probably for for health and safety reasons. And that's the two metre rule, isn't it, probably in the canteen as well? Yes, yes. Now, some are getting around that by putting up physical screens. But if they have a smaller number of people in the workplace on each day, that means there won't be the same demand. But it does mean people could be assigned a particular, you know, 30 minute time, maybe 20 minute time that they can use those facilities. Mm. It's impacting on the sort of menu and services that are being provided. I'm afraid for the moment, it's something we're going to have to live with. But if somebody has suggestions how their workplace can do it better, bring those suggestions forward because everyone is on a learning curve. Yeah, well done. And it's it's about everybody talking about everyone, yes. isn't it? Yes, indeed. Yeah, and uh, somebody else says, uh, Patricia, it is okay to be nervous and you can be nervous for very good reason. Let us not forget that COVID-19 is very much still out there. Indeed. And um, the government protocol on working safely is provides good guidance. The Health and Safety Authority have come up with a return to work checklist, which provides good guidance. So there's good guidance out there that both employees and employers can access and can read through. And, you know, there is an employee consultation person that any employee could go to and say, look, have we considered this? And really it's about working together to make sure we provide safe workplaces. And when will the legislation on uh, hybrid working come in? Another listener wants to know. That's not until next year, sure it's not? They have said that it's going to be the end of the year or January before it's in. But what that's going to do is give an employee the right to request remote working. It doesn't give them the right to access remote working, but a person can put in a request to do that and an employer will have to respond in a particular time and there'll probably be particular reasons that they may or may not be able to give. Um, But it is going to... I heard the politicians talk about it on the radio over the last couple of days and it will be late this year, early next year before that legislation is in place. But as you say, it's only the right to ask. It's up to, it'll be up to individual employers then after that. Yes, yeah. so anyone interested in doing that can already be having a conversation and asking their employer. They haven't a legal right to have it considered in depth, but most employers will have a conversation about it and see what possible solutions may exist. Yeah. Okay, listen, I enjoyed our chat, Mary. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Okay, thank you very much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Mary Connington, who is Director of CIPD Ireland, a professional body which focuses on uh, HR and learning. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 Now, two weeks ago, the Irish Times named the best 20 places to live in Ireland. And yesterday, that list got whittled down to the top five best places to live in Ireland, of which Clonakilty is one. The overall winner is going to be named next weekend. And joining me with details is Irish Times feature editor and chair of the judging panel. That is Connor Goodman. Good morning, Connor. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. And can I just tell you, we have always known that Clonakilty is one of the best places, not just in Ireland, in the world to live in. So can you tell us why the what what stood out for Clonakilty for the judges to get it into the top five? 
Well, I wouldn't disagree with your with your assessment. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it absolutely deserves its place in the top five. Congratulations to Clonic Kilty for uh, for being judged among the, the top places. It already has a string of awards, you know. Um, it has Tidy Towns Awards, Anton Florial. So many people have, have recognised it. I know that as you as as you come in, you see these kind of accolades, but also things like it's a fair trade town. It's a first a, in a Ireland friendly town, and um, so it has it, it has clearly done huge work. The actual town itself is so beautiful, um, and that is the result of um, of a lot of effort, a lot of hard work, and a lot of community cohesion. That that kind of uh, na- that kind of built environment can't be achieved just. Uh, it doesn't come together by accident. I mean, you walk down the main street. There are very very few. Uh, vacant units. Nearly everything is in use. Uh, this is a very good sign of uh, not only commercial activity but vibrancy of population growth of um, of general activity of people wanting to use the central area when when so many towns in Ireland are are, are suffering dereliction problems in their in, in their central areas. Also, the the the, the mix of retail is very. Um, how can I put it? It's healthy, and this is one of the things we we uh, assess. You know, do, is it a place that communi- that that facilitates uh, a healthy lifestyle? So, very few, for example, uh, uh, very very few bookies or you know, sort of uh, uh, places for 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 you know, tanning salons that uh, that sort of thing. You get a fair few bars, but also lots of surf shops, uh, a, a, a refill shop. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen so many signs for uh, for for yoga classes anywhere. Yeah, um, healthy bunch uh, of people. Pardon? They're a healthy bunch of people. A healthy bunch of people, and you know, twelve beautiful beaches nearby, yeah. including including Donny. So it just has great facilities. But I think, um, so it, it's got a great you know natural amenities, but also the town itself. People have put uh, put. Uh, Huge effort in there, and I happen to know I have it on good authority. We were last ran this competition in 2012. The winner of that was Westport and County Mayo. Westport modelled itself largely on Clonakilty and everything it had achieved in the uh, in in you know year, years before that. So it's got a long uh, pedigree here of um, of doing great things for itself. Brilliant, brilliant. And now, that continues just. To this day. Just to explain uh, how this competition uh, works, how many locations were originally nominated and how were they nominated? So we invite, back in June, we invited members of the public to write a short pitch um, or, you know, entry to, to the competition. Tell us why you love where you live and why it should be uh, considered as one of the best places to live in Ireland. Uh, around 2,500 people entered the competition and they nominated a total of 470 places. So we got that down uh, initially to 50, and then we sent out researchers to all of the top runners. We then narrowed it down further to 20, then down to five, and this week we're trying to find the final one. And we applied a lot of criteria to the to the question, so there'd be questions of affordability, you'd be looking at schools, you'd be looking at transport, so it's not just the, the sort of the visual impression, but yeah. looking at everything that underpins it, you know, what's the traffic like, uh, what's the population growth like, 
Uh, is it a young population, an old population? Is it diverse? Is it, and maybe most important, is it welcoming? So if you are looking for a new place to live, uh, is Clonakilty a place that would welcome you with open, open arms? Absolutely. And, Absolutely. 100%. OK, who, who are we up against? Who are the other so four? <laughs> it's stiff opposition. OK. Uh, the, the, the other four include two cities, Waterford City and Galway City. Uh, Killarney and County Kerry and the tiny village of Glasslock County Monaghan which had I think the highest or maybe the second highest number of nominations near the entire population of the of the village seemed to <laughs> put in an entry there were over 200 entries for one place oh. uh, absolute gem if you're if, if you're if you're in if the, you're in uh, County Monaghan you're in the border area Glass uh, Glass Glasslock why by the way has it been 10 years since you last ran, ran this competition well, it was uh, it, it's um, it's exactly nine years. I suppose after we ran the last one, we said, "Well, we don't want to run uh, run up the following year and find a different answer because these things don't change so yeah. quickly." Uh, when we ran it the last time, twenty twelve, you can imagine Ireland was really in the depths of uh, the recession, yeah. and um, and we were looking quite honestly, we were looking for some positive news when there was so little around, and so we were trying to emphasise some of the good things happening in Ireland, of which there were many at that time. And here again, we've just come through another challenging period as a country, and uh, you know, just coming out, we hope, coming out of the COVID crisis, uh, still in the midst of a housing crisis. But here again, can we shine a light on some of the good things happening, some of the positive attributes, and also, I suppose, the the, the pandemic has given a lot of people pause for thought, what they're doing for their li- with their lives, where they're living, what jobs they're doing, all those kinds of things. So I think these kinds of questions are to the fore of people's minds in a way that they mightn't have been five years ago. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of people have discovered that they don't have to be living in the rat race in the middle of the city. They can live in, you know, beautiful rural areas and still do their job really well if there's good broadband. Very much so, yeah. 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 And and then a place like Clonacilly, you know, it is accessible to, to Cork City. It's probably you know, on a good day, 40-minute drive. Uh, so it's not... Um, Close to the airport. Not, uh, it's not cut off yeah. uh, from, from all, all of the amenities that a, that, that a big urban centre offers either. OK, so you're down to... Was it tough to get it down to the last five, by the way? Absolutely. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. Every stage of it is tough. Yeah. It's very difficult. Um, it's not difficult to include places. difficult to exclude Yeah. Uh, because uh, so many of the all of the front runners really offer a huge amount. What we've tried to do is 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 in our in our shortlist offer uh, different types of experiences. So, uh, you know, two two one small city, one medium sized city, uh, two relatively large uh, towns in Clonakilty and Killarney, and a small village. So each one offers a different living experience. So we're very happy to highlight all of those. Uh, before settling on one winner. Okay, so the final judging will be done at some stage uh, this week. When can we expect to hear the winning place? The announcement is on Saturday in the Irish Times on Saturday morning. So uh, watch this space and uh, cross your fingers. And and best uh, of luck to Clonakilty. Do whatever you do. (laughs) uh, (laughs) We have the Child of Prague statues out for the fine weather and we've St Anthony working on it. Listen, uh, Connor, enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that and uh, thanks Thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Connor Goodman, who is Irish Times feature editor, but he's chair of the judging panel. That's the important uh, part for the best place to live in 
Ireland. The very best of luck to Clonakilty now down to the final five and we will wait with bated breath on Saturday to see if they pick up this top award. Premier League Live is back this Saturday on C103.ie with uh, Trevor Welch powered by Talk Sport. We're bringing you live coverage this weekend of Chelsea versus Man City. That's at 12.30. Everton taking on Norwich City at 3 and then Brentford v Liverpool. That's at 5.30. That's the Premier League live online would now stream live Premier League action with the now Sports our Sports Extra membership. Your sport on your teams. Stream only the games that matter to you most uh, with and now you can listen on Saturday on Cork's C103 on the uh, app c103.ie. Liam Imbroff reacting to my piece that I did uh, on the competition for the top best place to live in Ireland and we know Clonakilty now uh, down to the final five. The winner is going to be announced on uh, Saturday. Uh, Liam is making the point that uh, the towns in West Cork are beautiful and many of them are really, really pretty but they need industries for the young people. There can be no, there's no employment uh, particularly in the wintertime. Well, I know one of the criteria that the judges to get into the top five, one of the criteria was employment uh, opportunities. And I was thinking about when I was reading Liam's uh, comment and you know, you are right in rural areas it can be, you can have a beautiful place to live but if there's no jobs going, you know, how do you encourage young people to go to move and live in those rural areas? But, you know, we were talking earlier about blended learning and more people being allowed to work from home and businesses are going to start to realise if they want to hold on to staff and if they want to get the best of staff that are out there, that they're going to have to offer more blended learning and maybe full time at working from home. And of course, if you can work from home, if you can do your job as good at home, sitting in a very scenic rural area as you can do sit in an office in Dublin then there's no reason why you can't buy in one of those areas and I think going forward we're going to see an awful lot more of that. Thank you for your comment at Liam. And just by the way because I know Barry on our news at our newsroom has been covering this uh, all morning the meeting that was held about the closure of the Onakara Centre last night uh, yesterday we had Mary Hurley on and Mary was speaking up on behalf of one of her relatives who has been a resident in Onakara for the last 25 years and God my heart broke for Mary yesterday you could really hear it in her voice and she's a fantastic advocate uh, trying to keep this centre open in Middleton and advocating as well on behalf of there's only 19 residents there but there are some residents residents there who don't have families to advocate uh, for them. So, you know, people need to speak up. And there was a public meeting held last night and that's why we were talking about it yesterday. By all accounts, we checked in this morning. There was a great turnout at that public meeting last night. And from what I can gather, all of the public reps were there. I know I heard Deputy Sean Sherlock on our news service talking about the need to keep this uh, centre open. And what appears to be happening, which is terrific, all of our public reps, party politics seems to have been left at the door and there's nobody trying to gain brownie points. Everybody are there for the right reasons and to make sure that the future is secure for these uh, residents ideally that this centre would remain open and the funds go into doing it up but if they, if they have to be moved if we've got to make sure that they're all happy where they are going and trying to keep friendship groups together and I think as well trying to keep them as near to the area where oh, 
where they have been living because they very much, as Mary was outlining yesterday, they're very much integrated into the local community and, you know, they're members of clubs and societies and whatever. And that's important uh, for them as well. But the, just the reason I'm mentioning it now is we know that there is a committee meeting, the Iraq, the subcommittee on mental health are meeting in about 13 minutes time at half past half past 12 today in uh, Leinster House and the HSE have been called before the Oireachtas uh, subcommittee and they are going to be asked to answer questions about their decision to shut the facility so we're going to follow up on this tomorrow on the programme and I can't wait to see what the HSE will say and of course anybody I know Deputy Pat Buckley Cork East Sinn Féin who we spoke with before about uh, Onakara he's actually on that subcommittee so he's going to join us tomorrow and we'll find out a little bit more of what happened at the meeting and what the HSE had to say and I, I, I liked Sean Sherlock's suggestion of because this it's to close at the end of October so in about five weeks uh, time put a stay on it for now just hold off for a little while and just you know have a bit of breathing space, let's see what else can be done rather than rush through the closure of the centre. I mean, people have been living there. It's about 30 years old, I think we found, we worked out yesterday, the centre. If people have been living there for 25 odd years and, you know, while the HSE are saying the conditions aren't okay, even though the residents aren't, none none of the residents seem to be complaining about the conditions, they'll willingly stay on while decisions can be made about the future of it. And I I, I thought that was a good suggestion uh, from Sean Charlotte. But anyway, just to let you know, we are going to be looking into that and and we'll hear more about it uh, tomorrow. And also, and I saw a couple of texts in about this, somebody saying, Patricia, did you see my Collins walking stick is going up for sale? Surely that should be purchased by one of the museums for Clannacilty. Wouldn't it be fantastic? spotted it on the news as well it's in a lot of the papers today have photographs of it it's a walking stick said to be owned by Michael Collins there's also police files tracking his activity during the War of Independence they're all going up for auction next week the century old artefacts related to the Republican leader are among a series of historical lots they're going under the hammer it's an auction that's going to happen in Belfast next week now the auctioneers believe that both the walking stick and also these police uh, files could potentially sell for as much as €12,000. Now, there's a variety of other items in the police and military-themed sale. It's in Bloomfield Auctions in uh, Belfast. They include a service medal from the 1916 Easter Rising and that comes complete with the original box. I don't know how many of those are still floating around. There's a gate that goes under auction which is from inside one of the H blocks that would have been there during the era of the Troubles in the Maze, which was then, of course, a paramilitary uh, prison. The the actual gate is going up for sale. There's also artwork, which was painted by the loyalist killer Michael Stone. There's a miniature carved wooden hurley, which was signed by Republican prisoners, and one of them includes the signature of IRA leader Joe Cahill. The auction also includes two pieces from a dining set. It's a porcelain cream jug and a spoon. It was used by high-ranking Nazis, Henrik Himmler and Joseph Goebbels on their personal train carriages during the Second World War. Now, goodness knows and what they will actually sell for. And Carl Barnett is the managing director of this Bloomfield Auctions. He says that the Collins pieces 
the walking stick are expected to draw particular interest at the sale. The intelligence report on Michael Collins who uh, led the IRA's fight, of course, against the British forces in the War of Independence are contained in a dossier of the Royal Irish Constabulary and its documents that cover the period from 1920 to 1922. And within those documents, there's a huge amount of information. And it was, it's, according to Carol from Bloomfield Auctioneers, it's just amazing to see the intelligence level that they had back in 1921. Like within the document seemingly, they talk about the movements of Michael Collins. They also have uh, reports from Eamon de Valera accepting the Prime Minister who was Lloyd George at the time, his invitation to meet and de Valera putting out the message to his men to refrain from activities because obviously the peace talks were underway. Michael Collins then gets mentioned as going up north to stir up strife. There's a mention within the documents that if Michael Collins was seen in an area to please arrest the man immediately and there's lots of other information like it's really really an important piece of uh, history. The auctioneer said that uh, Michael Collins walking stick which has a silver collar and tip and it's it's accompanied by a letter proving that it was in the ownership of uh, Michael Collins the uh, walking the walking stick that Michael Collins actually held uh, it's a really important piece and the, the auctioneers themselves are really hoping that it will end up in a museum and it would be lovely to think that it would end up in a museum and when I saw this on the news piece yesterday I said oh, I must check out and find out where this has all uh, come from and it seems that all the items it's next Tuesday and Wednesday of next week is when they go under the hammer they've originated from a range of different sources some private collectors have decided uh, to sell them. There's also families of deceased enthusiasts so people who would have collected these in their lifetime they've now passed on and they've willed them on to family members who now either don't have the same interest in them or feel that they should be passed on to other people so that it's, they're selling on the collections of uh, loved ones who are now uh, deceased and if you want to check it all out you can on www bloomfieldauctions.co.uk but it's Tuesday and Wednesday of next week and I'm assuming it's an online uh, auction. But as I say, I agree with a number of people who are saying wouldn't it be lovely if that particular walking stick could end up in one of the Michael Collins museums in Clonakilty. It would indeed. Whether they have that kind of money or not, I don't know. 1850 Some of your texts coming in. Johnny North Cork was on to say he was at a match yesterday it was the match between Mwilin and Kildare and the match was held in Newtown Chandram. The reason he contacted us this morning, he says the toilets at Newtown Chandram were a disgrace. He said they haven't been cleaned in a very, very long while and how in particular he knows that they haven't been cleaned is that there was cobwebs all over the wall. Would somebody in Newtown Chandram please go in and check the toilets and give them a little bit of a clean. Then on the cost of motoring that we've been discussing this morning, Barry in West Cork says the government are saying that they want everybody to use green energy and there's a big push to try to encourage all of us to drive electric cars. But, says Barry, the problem at the moment is we don't have enough charging points. The cost of fuel is actually driving up the price of the cost of living. Everything that gets delivered around the country is now costing the consumer more. Why? Because of the fuel it is costing. And then we've been discussing this morning, as Barry points out, that a lot of that fuel is going in tax. Something needs to be done about that. And then someone else says the government does not believe in fairness when it comes to road 
tax. Car tax rates changed in the budget in 2008. So, for example, road tax on a two-litre diesel car registered in early 2008 costs much more than the €200 that is charged for the very same car that would have been registered a few months later. And that has been the case from mid-2008 onwards, even though the road tax is supposed to be based on the admission and the size of the engine. No fairness in that, says a listener. And Kay uh, says, while people are wondering about the budget and what's going to happen in the budget, you can guarantee that everything is going to go up. Nothing's going to come down. Our country now has a huge debt because of the pandemic and that that debt will have to be uh, repaid. Heidi says, Patricia, why are they, why have the government never been ch- challenged over the amount of tax that they put on both fuel and on motor tax? Also, all of the levies that have been highlighted this morning. The government appear to want its cake and eat it. It is so unfair, particularly when it comes to buying cars and vehicle registration tax. If you go anywhere in the EU to buy a car, any other country, you don't pay VRT. But here the government impose it. I believe that the EU fined them at one stage, but it was a very small fine. And as somebody pointed out, was it the vehicle registration tax can put 10,000 on the price of some cars. 1850 333 103. Bernie is taking your calls. Text and WhatsApps are available at 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now, there's a couple of coffee mornings and coffee afternoons in main aid of Marymount Hospice going ahead this week. For example, Mallow Active Retirement Group, they have a fundraising coffee afternoon in aid of Marymount. That's happening on Thursday. The Arches Bar in Mallow from 2 all are welcome to support the great work of the hospice. While then on Friday morning, Harrigan's Bar and Lounge in Newmarket, they're holding their hospice coffee morning. It's from half 10 until 1. Now, please note, mask wearing and social distancing is essential. And then on Saturday, a coffee morning in aid of the hospice will be held in Glantan Community Centre. That's from 10am to 1pm. And they are particularly looking for donations of baking would be very much welcomed. And glad to report the return of Bingo in the new Kalekill Village Hall at the old creamery in Kalekill starting next Monday the 22nd, uh, 27th of September and every Monday thereafter at 8 o'clock. A COVID cert will be required. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Earlier I mentioned when a listener pointed out that there was 95 days to Christmas and I was wondering has anybody started making the Christmas cake or the plum puddings? By the way, I didn't get anybody say that they've already started uh, making them but that led Nora to say Patricia, would you put a shout out please and ask where in the Mallow area can you purchase or will you be able to purchase a gluten-free, wheat-free Christmas cake. Is there any bakery in the Mallow area or will any supermarket be stocking a gluten-free, wheat-free Christmas uh, cake? No, I would say take a look in the supermarkets. A lot of the supermarkets, because so many people now are having a problem with gluten and wheat. There is, I mean, you talk to any celiac a number of years ago, 
probably 10, 15 odd and more years ago when anyone got diagnosed as a celiac. Goodness me, they had such a limited choice. In many cases, they had to go into the chemist to buy the bread and it was like cardboard. But I think because so many people now have discovered that they are gluten intolerance or have an intolerance to wheat. So because of that, all of the supermarkets, there's a huge range in the supermarkets for gluten-free and wheat-free. So I would suggest, Nora, I don't know if you've had a recent diagnosis, I'd suggest taking taking a look in the supermarkets. But in the meantime, we'll put the shout out if anybody in the Mallow area, particularly any bakery, Will you be making gluten-free or wheat, wheat, gluten and wheat? Nora has a problem with both. Both, let us know, please. 1850-333-103. And another listener is saying, Patricia, will the government ever get rid of the need to wear masks? Somebody who can't wear a mask, we are still in lockdown. It's not fair on those of us who can't wear masks. We can't go anywhere or go into any places. Well, we know that we will have further, if if the numbers for COVID-19 continue the way they're going, we will have a further lifting of restrictions in under a mo- uh, about a month's time. What's today? Is this today? 21st, a month tomorrow, 22nd of October. But we do know if they do lift the remaining restrictions on the 22nd of October, they have already stated that masks will remain in retail settings and masks will also remain on public transport. Now, what I constantly say to people who say for, you know, whatever reason, a health reason that they can't wear a mask because they have difficulty breathing or whatever, get one of the visors. I spotted only yesterday I was in a supermarket and I saw a lovely lady coming in and she had a really fine, sturdy visor on. I was nearly going to ask her where to she purchases but there's lots of visors available I know they say they don't offer the same amount of protection as a mask but certainly I've seen people with visors go into supermarkets and they've never been confronted as oh you're not wearing a mask and remember you wear a mask to protect other people you're not necessarily protecting yourself even though everyone accepts there's a level of protection by having a mask on but the main reason we wear masks we wear masks to protect other people. So when you're going in somewhere without a mask and people are giving you funny looks, it's because they're nervous about being around you because you don't have a mask on. So I suggest go down the route of investing in some visors and that way you should be able to go uh, places. But there shouldn't be a reason why you, you feel you are still in lockdown and not able to go anywhere because the visor option certainly is there. And I've yet to hear of some of anyone being stopped and told you can't go in because you're not wearing a face mask, you're only wearing a visor. And a lot of other people have said the same thing, by the, by the way, when we mentioned visors a lot of other people who have difficulty wearing masks because maybe of a lung condition or whatever they're saying they're using visors very very successfully. Okay loads of people are saying Aldi has gluten free and wheat free Christmas cakes. Not yet I'm assuming please don't say the Christmas cakes are in the shops yet but they will have them. And someone <laughs> says Patricia it's not a bit early to be talking about Christmas what would you think? I Listen you know, I mentioned it in a very jokey way at the top of the programme because somebody pointed out how quick the year was going and the fact that it is only 95 days left to Christmas that's the only reason that I mentioned it and I have already spotted in all of the supermarkets the selection boxes are in haven't bought one by the way but the selection boxes are in and the you know the tins of choc- the chocolates and the biscuits I saw the tins of biscuits are in as well and there are people who start early like to start early like to spread the cost of Christmas over a number of months but for many people we shouldn't be even talking about Christmas. Let's get Halloween out of the way first and then we can start talking about Christmas. 1850 
333 uh, Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 And just on gluten-free, wheat-free Christmas cakes, somebody said there's a range called Foods of Athen Rye. And they're available in all uh, super value stores and they are gluten free and wheat free for Nora, who was looking for those from Mallow. And somebody else says, yes, I've made some of my Christmas cakes already. Started baking them in August. Lots more to make. Go you. OK, Joe Heffernan joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And I know it's a bit early to be talking about Christmas, but uh, somebody's pointed out 98 or 95 days to Christmas. The year has absolutely flown by, I think somebody was, was pointing out. It has, oh, yeah. OK, now we're talking about, we're revisiting the whole topic of uh, anger and we've been trying for the last couple of weeks to talk about the rules of fair fight, but we kept getting waylaid. Mm. So we're, we're going to talk about it a little bit uh, today. But also just talking about that people are getting tetchy and fed up and frustrated and people are snappier than they normally are. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I I could identify with that. And um, yeah, that little things that would, um, uh, you know, as they say, wash off a duck's back uh, before um, now uh, can irritate. And I suppose irritability in a way uh, is one of the um, symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And um, we all have some post-traumatic stress from the way life has been. Um, it's very, very, very difficult, isn't it, to get our heads around it. By the way, before I say another word, congratulations on your um, uh, intro... What, what Imro is? Hall of Fame Award. Yeah, the Imro. Um, yeah, your intro into that. Um, Thank you. Uh, after uh, all the uh, good and solid years of broadcasting, and uh, indeed you're up there with some very uh, well-known names, including the likes of Gabo and uh, etc. So well, well done. Thank you. Well done, Patricia. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mm. Th- thank you very mm. much. Okay, and and the one thing also I heard um, on radio over the weekend, somebody who works in a supermarket uh, talking about that, in, and she's been working in a supermarket for many years, and she said since the pandemic, the rudeness of people and people, and that's unfair. Because people worked in retail and they worked right throughout the pandemic in very, very difficult circumstances, particularly last year when people were unvaccinated and you never knew who was coming into the supermarket. Yeah, and when fig, you know, when numbers were very high, say at the start of the year after Christmas, you know, they were out there in the cold front of it, you know, day in, day out. And I, I, I think it's really unfair if people are having a go at anybody working in retail. It's just, oh, it's totally. wrong. I mean, these are frontline workers yeah. and they're there to help us. And God knows they were brilliant um, all through um, the the very bad uh, times when the lockdown was extreme. And, um, uh, in you know, in no way, no way whatsoever should people be um, using abusive language to people, say, on the checkout and... Um, uh, we know that it has happened. We we know that for certain. Um, e- even maybe witnessed some. Um, so 
that's completely out of order and uh, people would need to learn to self-regulate, to, uh, right, we're all a little bit, um, uh, right, to use the same word again, a bit tetchy, a bit um, a bit on edge, okay, fair enough. And we have shorter fuses, we've shorter fuses than we normally do. Yeah. But, you know, take a breath, walk away, do not, you know, if things aren't going your way, and I know people can get frustrated but if things aren't going your way, don't take it out on a customer service person or somebody working in, in a shop. It's not their fault either. Oh, God, no. And, um, uh, you know, and I hope that there's a lot of the other kind of talk going on with people in retail. In other words, um, saying thank you for being there. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and that they're, um, you know, an asset to the community. Absolutely. Okay, um, and then within within a relationship, uh, we want to talk about the the fair fight uh, guidelines. And you know, people have been particularly if they've been working from home. I hope some people are getting back uh, to the office, but people have been on top of each other for long periods of time and maybe not getting the usual breaks you'd get when somebody goes to work. And, you know, I remember last year talking about saying, a friend of mine was saying that she never realised how annoying her husband was when he eats a bag of crisps. And it was a really silly thing. She just drives me mad when he's eating a bag of crisps. And she'll never noticed it before. And I was yeah. just saying, look, you're just living in each other's ear. It's just the small things. Yeah. But but yeah. if but if you, if you are having a disagreement, and yeah. we do, we all have disagreements, when it comes to fair fight guidelines, you always talk about timing is so yeah, important. But be, before we get into that, just to say there are three types of anger. Um, anger is completely normal. It's grand to be angry. It's what you do with it. And, um, you know, you have um, passive, pictures, no sound. You have um, aggressive, shouting, slamming doors, uh, throwing a cup. Uh, and, of course, the extreme physical violence. And then you have assertive. And assertive anger is what we're talking about in the fair fight guidelines. And as you say, the first thing is timing. If everyone is on edge, if um, if there's someone coming to knock on the door about something, uh, if there has been um, uh, uh, if there have been a few drinks uh, taken. Um, it's not a good time. It's not a good time uh, to uh, have what can set out as a discussion but can finish up in the wrong circumstances as a shouting match. So when people are tired, when they have uh, alcohol taken, um, uh, or, as I say, when, uh, when there's someone about to knock on the door, um, is not the time um to to uh, to hopefully have a reasonable assertive conversation about something that can so easily and we need to be aware of that that it can turn into a shouting match or uh 
uh, an inappropriate way of, yeah, so of get dealing the, with anger. Get the timing right. I mean, to you know, to bring it into yeah. say this week with people back at the office. Somebody who has gone back to the office, say for the first time, might have had a one-hour commute in the morning, then did their full eight-hour day, and then a one-hour commute will be exhausted when he or she gets in the door. That's yeah. not the time as soon as the key no. is in the door to go. I need to talk to you about something. So get the yeah. get the timing right, and then listening, which can be the hardest part. Yeah, yeah. That um, uh, we need to hear, literally hear, what the other person is saying. And we need to ask ourselves, um, uh, has he, has she a point? Um, You know, is is there logic in that? Um, So... um, you know, maybe uh, have a little bit of a chat with oneself and say, you know what, um, maybe, may, may, maybe what he's saying um, uh, makes sense, and um, and to make it clear to the other person by either gesture or word that um, that you're listening, you, you know, and try not to immediately get defensive. Um, if the other person is making a point, um, hopefully they're not making it a personal attack. That they're, you know, there's there's three corners to a triangle. There's you, the other person, and the problem. And if both of the people at the two corners of self and the other person are focused on the other angle of the triangle, the problem, well then, the problem can get solved. Um, and an awful lot depends on language, um, uh, you know, to be able to um, uh, to to focus uh, the language on the problem rather than on the other person. Um, so if you know, something is, is upsetting somebody, you say describe the behaviour and how it affects you rather than labelling the other person. Just yeah. expand on that. Yeah, well, instead of like... Um, you don't do a tap around the house, which is, uh, you know, uh, it is what it is. Causes um, a lot of arguments in a household. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, instead of that, to be, you know, maybe to be specific and to say, look, um, on Tuesdays there, we take out the bins. Will you do that? And um, uh, after a meal there, um, uh, how 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 about that you put the stuff in the dishwasher or give it a bit of a rub at the sink or whatever? To be specific, um, because the kind of thing of um, you never help out around the house, um, uh, that's, that's not going to get it done. The other person immediately gets defensive because um, he or she feels that they're being personally attacked. Whereas the other thing is simply a request. And if a request is made in that way, and if it's specific, usually the answer is, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Um, You know, um, uh, whereas you can get, um, you know, the uh, other aspect of, you know, you're useless around the house. Um, um, uh, Do you think I have three hands? Uh, that kind of thing. It just doesn't get it done. It doesn't help. Um, uh, so to be specific and to make a clear and specific request if it's something that you want done. And in a, in a calm, calm way. Now, check yeah. your motive. This is important. Yeah. 
Yeah, like that you would be able to take a moment and say to yourself, um, what am I looking for here? What am I, what's my motivation? What, what, what am, uh, is it my intention to be helpful and to solve a problem? Um, that's grand. Or do I want to have a go at the other person? Now, if it's having a go at the other person, uh, that's going to be a row. Um, because, um, again, uh, looking at the triangle, now the focus is across the top of the triangle from one person to the other, and the focus on the problem down at the other um, uh, angle of the triangle is not being focused on at all, and it becomes um, it becomes personal. Mm. Um, so, like, uh, uh, I need to be able to say to myself, like, what do I want here? I want to get it that he brings out the bins on a Tuesday. I want to get it done that um, I'm a bit rushed in the evening and that um, a few specific and named chores um, would be would be done that it wouldn't be left uh, to myself. Right, and that's fine. Now you're focusing then on the uh, on the problem and you're naming uh, the request very clearly. And that usually gets it done. Whereas um, um, if, if, if the self-thought before you speak is like, I'm fed up with this and I'm going to sort them out or her out and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to lay down the law here now. I'm, 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 I'm cheesed off with the way things are. That's not a good start at all. Mm. It's, so, all it's all about remaining calm. And then check yeah. with each other. This is a kind of at yeah. the end, end of it all. Is a check that everybody understands what we've just agreed. Yeah, yeah. To just say, it, will will that be okay? At all? And um, and the other person, if the if the if the interchange has gone well, will say, yeah, I can do that. And um, and then to maybe say, look, I would appreciate it. Um, that's great. Um, uh, in the meantime, would you like a cup of tea? Yeah. You know. That, um, and then almost draw, almost yeah, and almost draw a line under it. Don't keep harping on about it. You've had the discussion. You've had the fair fight. Leave it there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, and that way, like we can we can get through this all phase in our lives. Let's hope to God that it is just a phase, although it's a long one, um, without people falling out, because apparently the amount of Fallings out, we'll say, um, are very high. Mm. At this well, time. Alyssa was making the point. Whenever I have a in inverted commas discussion uh, with my wife, she keeps dragging up things that happened many years ago. How fair is that? Well, That's, it's not yeah. a good thing. Yeah, no. Um, if it's de- when it's dealt with, like you said there, Patricia, draw a line under it and leave it there. And the next time that it comes up about who left the cat in, um, uh, you know. That it isn't, and I remember in 1992, yeah. you know, uh, no, no, when, when, when issues are dealt with, let them be yeah. dealt with it's, and move it's on. It's no good for anyone. Okay, listen, Joe, have a lovely week and we'll chat again next Tuesday. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks for joining and us. And again, congrats. Yours. Well done. Thanks a million. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye bye. That is Joe Heffernan. And you can contact Joe on mobile 086 8348145. That's where I'm going to leave you for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing. Tomorrow, 10. I'm Patricia. Good afternoon. 
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.